Hello, I'm Leanne O'Donnell, and this is Into the Mythic. Into the Mythic is a new podcast where we're going to explore the resonances that Ireland's ancient stories have for the times we're living in now. Some stories are told over and over again. Some stories really endure, and these ones have. They've been handed down through countless generations, told around campfires and in medieval dining halls. They've been written down on precious vellum by monks in books that have survived through wars and famines. And they've survived in local oral traditions through the art of telling and the art of listening. So there must be something in them. We want to see if there's wisdom embedded in these ancient myths that can help us to find our place in the web of life today. In these chaotic and uncertain times, information is everywhere, but true wisdom seems in short supply. So it seems worthwhile to go back, back into the mythic. In this series, I'll be working with Polo Coleman. Polo is a musician, a poet and a lover of Irish mythology. He has the stories and I have the questions. So between us, you'll be hearing a combination of story and conversation in the best Irish tradition. We want to see if by telling these stories and listening with open ears and open hearts, we can try and reclaim some of what we've forgotten and what we need to remember. We'd love you to join us as we unpeel the layers and get back to the beating heart of these ancient stories. Today's story is a very old story about a king with a terrible secret. And we find some surprising resonances in it about our relationship with forests and woodlands, about the importance of music and about the crippling impact of shame. Laura Lynchig was, was a, a king who was local to here. He lived on, a, on, a, on, on the island in the middle of Loch Ayn, just down the road from here, us here in, in West Cork. And uh, there was, he had a secret which no one knew about. But every year he had to have his hair cut and some young man was chosen to cut his hair and then he was never seen again. Uh, the family were, were showered with, with gifts and money and wealth and so on, but the, the boy was gone, the lad was gone. Now, one particular year uh, when the story changes, um, the young man chosen to cut the king's hair is the only son of, of an old widow. And she is distraught that her son has been has been called. And he is trying to tell her that it's an honour and that she'll be well looked after. And she said, but you're my only son and I don't want to lose my only son and my boy. And so she goes straight to Lars Lynchick and she pleads with him. And his heart is, is melted by, by the pitying, the pitiful mother uh, who's pleading for her son to return to her. So he says, OK, um, I'll... I'll think of something. So when the son is brought to him, he says to the son, uh, you must swear on your mother's life that you will not reveal to anybody what you see, what you witness. So, of course, the young man promises this um, and carries on. He cuts the, the king's hair and he leaves and his mo- he goes home to his mother and she's delighted to see him back and everything is fine. But as the days go by, he becomes more dark and heavy and weighed down. And it's the secret, his, his knowledge that he's promised not to reveal is weighing him down until it sickens him. And they bring in, uh, first of all, the, the lower orders of doctor, finally up to the top doctor, uh, and they try all their, all their medicine and all their wisdom and nothing will cure this fellow. So we're to understand at this point that this young man has witnessed something, has seen something. Exactly. That is a huge, unbearable secret. Yes, during this this job of cutting the king's hair he's witnessed something to which he has sworn secrecy for, forever and that's taking its toll on his his health and his mental well-being wow so he can't the secret is literally the word i used was unbearable but he cannot he can't exactly. bear exactly it is unbearable however he's promised on his honor and of course uh, honor is so important 
to to this uh, society. So he's he's honour bound not not to betray the trust of the of the Taoiseach or, or leader. And his, on his mother's life, you said? On well. his mother's life, yes. Yeah, so he's promised on his mother's life not to reveal what he has seen. And we're to understand, I suppose, at this point, um, it must be a pretty dreadful secret because all these other young men have been killed over the years. Exactly, it must be. It must be a terrible, dark secret. Okay, so what happens? So finally, um, one of the uh, very wise of the of the older people comes to him and says, I, I, I know how I can how you can be cured. What you must do is go into the wood and make your way into the wood and when you come to the tree that you know, you'll feel it. When, when you see this tree, you'll know this is the tree to tell uh, and whisper, lie down and whisper to the bark or the roots of the tree, whisper your secret and you'll feel better. And what happens? Does he feel better? So he makes his way. He gets. He has to be carried to the edge of the woods because he's so weak at this stage. And then he crawls into the wood, and he's 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 going, moving from tree to tree, but he can't find the right one. And eventually, this enormous, elegant willow beckons him, and he crawls up to it, and he lies down in the roots of this enormous willow, and he whispers the secret. And nobody can hear, of course, they're all keeping well back. And he whispers the secret and then he falls into a deep sleep. And when he wakes up, he feels better on the road to recovery. And within days, he's back to his old self again and his mother is delighted. So that's amazing. So immediately, given that our topic today is trees and woodlands in Irish mythology, there's an immediate sense of the potency of this tree. And the first thing that jumps up for me is a sense that the willow, the willow is sentient in the sense that it can receive this secret. Exactly, yes, yeah. Because he has sworn not to tell any person, but he hasn't, told, he hasn't sworn not to tell any living thing. Uh, so there, there's the loophole. So he's got a loophole, <laughs> and he lies down at the base of this willow tree and unburdens himself. Yeah, and the, the, the Irish, the Gael, from long ago, understood the power and the, the release of, of telling telling these stories and it was the early Irish monks who actually invented the the, the, the modern day uh, Catholic, Roman Catholic um, sacrament of penance. Uh, it was invented here. So you, you unburden, you, you, you tell your sins and, and you're unburdened. The confessional. The confession, exactly. Or what we call today modern day therapy, psychotherapy. Or Psycho- yes, exactly. Yeah, but it's yes. that you, you can't hold yeah. it all on your own. Exactly, you can't. So. Yeah, so I'm really struck by all the psychological implications of this ancient story. There's a real living uh, humanity to it already, that the king is trying to keep a, a dreadful secret and will go to all sorts of lengths to keep the secret. And this young man ends up carrying the secret and it's killing him. Yes. And then this magical sense that the living being of the willow tree can actually receive the secret and unburden him. Yes. And do you think, for the mindset that first told these stories, it was kind of a given that the tree was 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 a living, sentient being? It didn't need to be stated that it was a magical tree. It was just a tree that could understand. Or oh, I think so. Yeah, I, I think so. Um, I think the the early. Uh, the pre-Christian religion here was very much animistic and even the early Christian um, form of Christianity or the Irish form of early Christianity uh, also engaged that um, and so God was in everything and it wasn't just like one God up there, it was, it was in the streams and in the trees and in, in all these things.
Yes, and the sort of, it's not the right word, but I'm thinking the personhood of the willow tree. As you say, he wasn't allowed to tell a human person, but he was allowed to tell a tree and that there's enough personhood in the tree to have received his, his, his secret. Yes. Yeah. So in, in the sense of what we're, we're, we're looking at in this podcast, for me, that's an immediately really important and resonant thing that it was implicit to the mindset that first told these stories, that the trees were as alive and as real and as worthy of personhood. Yes. And of course, this is always the problem when you're looking at very old stories or stories in another language that you're, you can very easily miss things that, that were, as you say, taken as given. I really have this vivid image of him being carried to the edge of the woods, you know, that he was so weak he couldn't even walk into the woods. And yes. then, then they left him and he kind of crawled his way yeah. in so that he'd be in private. He was on death's door. Yeah. The power of the, the weight of the secret, yes. the power of the yeah. secret. So tell me the rest of the story. I mean, what, what happens next? He goes back, he's so feeling what happens better. He goes back and leaves the story, really, because he, he lives happily ever after with his, with his mammy. But meanwhile, uh, a, a very famous bard uh, or a musician, um, you know, these, these were people who used to travel the, the country and would uh, turn up at the, the court of a king. Sometimes they, they lived there full time, but they were, they were offered right up until the, until the 17th century. Uh, this was the case. Wealthy people would take in a bard and would, would house them, feed them, and the bard then would, would repay them by playing music and creating new music. So a bard arrives anyway or is there and he needs to, to make a new harp. So he heads off into the, into the woods nearby and he's walking through the woods in the same way that the our young our young hero crawled through the woods and he's looking around to find the right tree that speaks to him and what does he see but of course the great willow tree so he cuts a bough off the willow tree and brings it back to his workshop and he works on it and planes it and cuts it and fixes it and he fashions a new harp for himself and then he arrives at the at the Taoiseach's court, if you like, and uh, the, it's the great unveiling of his, his new harp. So he takes the, the hood off the harp and he runs his fingers over the strings and begins to play. But no matter how he tries to play some tune, all the harp will sing is Thagach Lus Kapalig Laura Lynchig. Laura Lynchig has two horses' ears. So dun, dun, dun. That was the secret. That was the terrible secret. So he had a deformed ears. Yes, he had. Now it's it's important to remember this is not just that he had horse's ears, but that as a leader you could not have a blemish. And there are there are some other stories within Irish mythology where a leader uh, had a blemish or lost. Like the most famous would be Nuada, who was a great warrior and leader, and he lost his arm in in a, in a battle, and. He, the gods fashioned him. They didn't want him to lose his position as leader, so they fashioned him a silver arm, uh, which, you know, which he wore ever ever after. So he was able to maintain his position as leader. So to have a blemish, uh, scars, damage, a loss of an eye, loss of an ear, whatever, uh, or horse's ears in this case, which is probably less usual, uh, it would officially or legally debar him from from holding this kind of office. So it was a secret that had to be kept at all costs. So there's two things that really come up for me there. And the first one is, back to the trees, this amazingly, what feels now like a magical process, whereby the tree heard the young man's story and then it came out 
in the harp because the wood was used yes. for the harp. And I feel like there's there's important resonance there, something to do with the role of poetry and music in society. Yes. That somehow the, the, the secret, the truth had to come out. Yes. It's true, and one one of the one of the duties of the of the harpist of the bard was to record the histories of the of the of the clan, to record the victories, um, mostly the victories. He didn't, we didn't really want to record any defeats, but the, the victories of the chieftain, uh, but also also to tell to tell the way things were in the way that the court jester later was employed by by uh, medieval kings across. Europe, um, he was there to entertain them, but also to say the unsayable from the safety of of his his diplomatic immunity, if you like. And there's a sense here that, however, the king tried to keep his secret hidden. Yeah. It was going to come out it partly out. because he's in relationship. He needs a barber. He actually needs somebody to cut his hair. And then the barber is in relationship with the tree. And so the secret moves from one to the other. Yes. And the tree is in a relationship with the musician who's in a relationship with the truth, which flows from the king, from the king's ears to the boy's eyes, to the tree's phloem and xylem and all that. And then it goes right into the, into the harp itself. So music brings it out and poetry brings it out. Art reveals. Art reveals the truth. Yes. And as you say, it's, you know, embedded in the phylum and the xylem of the tree. Like, there's something really magical about the idea that the the material, the wood material... He didn't kill the tree, did he? Did he just take a branch? I hope he didn't have to chop he it just, No, he would have just taken a branch. He, t- he took a branch. OK, so the tree is left living. Yeah. But even that, that, that knowledge and that truth is embedded in the branch that he took. Yes. And again, it's maybe really obvious, but it seems that it needs to be stated again to the people telling these stories... There's a huge amount of sentience in that willow tree because it was able to hold the memory. Yes, yeah. And then with the aid of the musician, it released release it, exactly. release the memory and release yeah. the truth. Yeah. It's full of magic. Absolutely. All over. Yeah. All over. And the, I suppose the important question from the point of view of the story is what happened? So his shame is revealed. <laughs> yes. His horse's ears. What happens? So, uh, so all eyes turn to the king and he stands, pulls himself up to his full height and with everyone watching him, he slowly pulls off his hood and reveals the horse's ears. And does the world come to an end? It doesn't. <laughs> what happens? <laughs> well, it seems he carries on. Maybe people realise he's a good king and that it doesn't matter and life goes on, as you say. Anyway. And that his, his, his blemish, his shame... It's actually not as bad as he thought it was. Yes, yeah. Well, when I asked myself the question, why is this story still being told hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years later? It feels to me like the, the moral in it or the message in it ultimately is that the secret wasn't as bad as the king thought. Yeah. Once his shame, I'm calling it his shame because I find yes. that's kind of useful. I know he also wanted to be able to continue to rule um, unblemished. But there was something shameful about his horse's ears, yes. so shameful that he would kill people about it. Yes, which was quite a shameful thing to do as well. Pretty shameful. For me, that's a lot more shameful than having some yeah. physical deformity. So that is a good ending. Yeah. That, that's yeah. that's a, quite a significant ending. That it he is, stands up really. proud with yeah. his horse's ears. And I suppose I'm really taken by the idea of the relationship. That's, that's 
that's what's really with me, as you say, the relationship between the king and the barber who he he needs. Because if he could just stay away from people altogether, no one would ever know about his ears. But he needs this service. And then the barber and the tree and then the tree and the musician and the musician and the audience. Yeah. It's a beautiful web of interconnectedness. Exactly, yes, yeah. It's perfect, actually. Full, cir- full circle. A full circle ending in Larry standing up proudly, which yeah. is the opposite of shame. Yes. Yeah. Once the truth is out. It's a beautiful story. Yeah. And I would say that I, you know, in the past, I remember now as you tell me that I heard this story as a kid and probably as a teenager. But there's something about the way that our old stories are told in the classroom or wherever we hear them that takes away their kind of living resonance for us. Because I'm hearing it differently today than I've ever heard it before. Yeah. And I've often told this and other stories to people from outside the country who haven't grown up with them. And I'm... I'm always struck by how moved they are by these stories because we've, as you say, we've heard them so, so often. They become nearly a shorthand. And the old Shanachis, the old storytellers going around telling these sharing the stories, they would have spread the stories out over long periods, maybe even several nights, depending on the story, sometimes weeks for, you know, for the sagas. So it, it wasn't just told cut and dried uh, in the way that they tend to be published now in a children's book, because mostly they're told for, for children, whereas these weren't necessarily, or at all, for children. They were for, for adults, for intelligent um, people who, who were listening and taking part in the in the evening's entertainment. And that brings me back to my feeling again that what have, they've been in some way reduced to stories for children yeah. in a classroom or bedtime stories, which is no harm that they're there, but that they're actually the stories of a mature culture trying to share truths. Yes. Well, these, these are our, our myths. They're our ways or attempts to explain human nature. So we have all the archetypes as we call them nowadays, but all the archetypes are in these stories. Uh, you know, you mentioned at the start, there's a king there, there's the old lady, there's the young boy, um, and uh, there's the the musician, the bard. So the, there's various, there are various characters in it, and e- each of these has these um, archetypes. So it's it's quite a um, developed and uh, advanced way of 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 explaining our nature. Explaining human nature and I think, as I said in the introduction, the sense that it's part of a web, yeah. human nature and how that fits into the, the living web around it. Yeah. Mm. It was really, that's a really interesting story. And as I say, I'm hearing it differently today than I've heard it before. So <laughs> that feels really good. Um, we could actually talk for hours because I also want to talk about like Instagram influencers who all have to have perfect faces. and perfect bodies and their place in the collective consciousness is earned by this perfection yes yeah and if they put on weight or i don't know deviate at all deviate at all from the standard yes then they don't have that place anymore in yeah and this could well have been a story a way of addressing that uh, that that nobody's perfect and even though we want our leaders to be perfect or we want our partners to be perfect or we want our children or we want ourselves to be perfect nobody is perfect and what we might see as imperfection is just part of us and what will actually kill us and those around us is if we try to yeah. hide those imperfections 
and if we really hold a lot of shame around it. Yes. Yes, I think there's some great psychological truths is, in there. Yeah, yeah. Mm. that's a nice link up to modern obsession with, with perfection or so-called perfection. That's great. Yeah, and it's very particular <coughs> because you, you actually can't be one of those people in the world at the moment. You can't be an Instagram influencer. Uh, though actually, I'm old-fashioned even by saying Instagram. It should be TikTok. TikTok yeah, influencer. Yeah, yeah. Um, unless you're a certain kind of perfect. Yeah. And, you know, this is something that maybe is just part of human nature that we have a tendency to want our yeah. our icons perfect. Yeah. Mm. And to, to to mold ourselves to be exactly like everybody else, the other perfect ones. We kind of if he had asses ears now, he would probably be able to go and get cosmetic surgery. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm wondering do you just have sort of hairy ears? <laughs> I don't know, I wonder. This story and the characters in it has been wandering around in my mind for the past few days since Paul and I spoke. As Paul mentioned, in the old storytelling tradition, these stories were not told cut and dried. They were told over days and nights. So maybe they're meant to wander around in our minds and pull on new threads of meaning. And one of the thoughts I've had since is about the significance of Larry's horse's ears and the shame attached to them. And it occurred to me that there's an extremely ancient tradition across global mythology of the character who is part man, part beast, most famously the Minotaur, whose bestial nature meant he was condemned to live away from people confined in a labyrinth, a story that has been much analysed for its meaning about the human psyche and human civilization. So I began to wonder if the horse's ears and our own Irish story might hold similar meaning, that Larry was part man, part beast, and that's what his horse's ears really meant. And this was the source of his great shame and the reason for the cruelty he engaged in to keep his secret. So then the character is not just an individual Irish king with a blemish. He represents something much bigger in the collective unconscious, something we're trying to understand about human nature and have been exploring through myth for thousands of years. That there are wild, untamed, hairy, bestial parts in all of us and most of us are shamed by that and try to hide it but that the shame and disconnection that comes from that ends up being more dangerous, the more it's hidden away. My final thought about this story is about the vital role the willow tree played in healing both the young man and Lowry the king. I'm left with a clarity about how nothing else could help the young man when he sickened, and nothing but the combination of the willow and the musician could have exposed Lowry's horse's ears and released him from his own prison of shame and thereby healed him. So without the tree in this story, neither character could ever have been truly well. So maybe one of the morals of this story is that our relationship with trees as living sentient beings is an essential part of what we need to be well in the world. People can't do all their healing alone. Humans aren't enough. Maybe we used to understand that. That our relationship with the living world around us is part of what we need for our healing and also that we need bards and harpists, we need music and poetry and story to reveal the uncomfortable truths and to play another essential part in our collective healing. So next week we'll tell you another story about Mad Sweeney who was turned into a bird and condemned to live in the forests away from his family, another character who was part human, part creature.
Into the Mythic is made possible by the generous support of Wild Goose Studios, a family-owned craft studio based in Kinsale, County Cork.